2: This is the California Report. Good morning, I'm Lily Jamali. After waiting months for an update on their unemployment claims, nearly a million out-of-work Californians will likely have to wade through even more red tape to access their benefits. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin has more. This week, EDD confirmed it's disqualified more than
3: 900,000 applications. The claims were part of the more than 1.4 million the agency froze late last year in an attempt to tamp down on fraud. In many of these cases, EDD was waiting for applicants to provide identity verification documents, a process that's supposed to be mostly digital, but people are often forced to resort to EDD's dreaded call centers. Issues with your
1: unemployment insurance payment? Press 4. Your call cannot be completed at this time. Please try your call again later.
3: And if you are lucky enough to get through. It takes about four to six weeks for EDD to even review the documents submitted in response to ID verification. Daniela Urban, executive director of the Center for Workers' Rights, says it's a process. Often it takes a second sending. They get a redetermination, which they then appeal. Then they wait 14 weeks to have a CUIAB hearing. Then they wait for that decision another two weeks. Then it's another couple of weeks before EDD implements that decision and pays back benefits. That CUIAB she mentioned, that's where you go when you want to appeal a disqualification. At the beginning of the year, many appeals were from people like these more than 900,000 who are missing identity paperwork. But of those, nearly 90% won their appeals, meaning the people EDD disqualified from that group, they were eligible all along. For The California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin.
2: A federal judge struck down the CDC's nationwide eviction moratorium yesterday, a decision the Justice Department is appealing. The ruling could have major ramifications for millions of tenants struggling to pay rent during the pandemic. But as KQED's Molly Solomon reports, it doesn't directly impact California renters.
3: California has a statewide moratorium that prevents anyone with a pandemic-related hardship from being evicted for non-payment of rent. Some local cities and counties, like Oakland and San Francisco, go even further, where nearly all evictions are on hold unless there's a health and safety risk or if the landlord pulls the rental off the market. Seamus Roller is the executive director of the National Housing Law Project.
4: So it has no impact on either state or local eviction moratoriums in California. Those remain and are no less legally found because of this ruling.
3: But those protections do have an expiration date. They're set to sunset at the end of June. For the California Report, I'm Molly Solomon.
2: In San Diego this week, the County Board of Supervisors approved an extension of a temporary moratorium which would prohibit residential evictions without just cause. The moratorium will expire 60 days after the state lifts all COVID-19-related stay-at-home orders, which for now is set to happen on June 15th. The ordinance would also limit the ability of landlords to increase rent. Rent won't be completely forgiven for those behind on payments. Landlords will be able to recoup 80 percent through a state emergency rental assistance program. Supervisor Nora Vargas introduced the measure at this week's San Diego Supervisors Meeting.
4: A lot of people are still struggling to put food on their table and keep a roof over their head. And while we find ourselves on the road to recovery, and many families in our community are still struggling uh, with the impacts created by the current health
2: crisis. While many residents spoke up in support of the measure at the board meeting, landlords and property owners expressed their disapproval, saying it was counterproductive and would harm them even more as they've struggled during the pandemic. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody
1: Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.
4: That's donate.kqed.org
1: slash podcast.
2: Turning to state politics, reality TV celebrity Caitlyn Jenner caused a media frenzy when she jumped into the California governor's race two weeks ago. Last night, the transgender activist sat down for an interview on Fox News. KQED's politics editor Scott Schaefer has that.
3: The
0: Sean Hannity Show on Fox is a friendly platform for conservative Republicans like Jenner, who supported President Donald Trump. Jenner said she disagreed with Trump on some things like transgender rights, but she supported Trump's border wall.
4: I am for securing this state. I am pro-law enforcement. I am pro-border protection, okay? ICE, pro-ICE. We need these people, and they do a wonderful job.
0: On a wide range of issues, including water, policing, and the pandemic, Jenner offered mostly anecdotes and generalities, and Hannity didn't press for many specifics. Asked to grade Governor Gavin Newsom's management of the state, she said he was too beholden to special interests.
4: I have common sense, okay? I see what's going on, and I see no common sense in politics and why they're doing it, besides only
0: for political reasons. Jenner describes herself as a compassionate disruptor, someone who will challenge the status quo. Asked about an earlier comment that she couldn't have run for governor before transitioning to a woman, Jenner gave a heartfelt answer. I'm just
4: trying to be myself and I can be myself now. I couldn't do it before because I have too many secrets. I have no secrets anymore. And I just wake up and be myself all day. But I, I still feel like I'm doing the right thing. And that's the most important thing.
0: Despite Jenner's high name identification, she'll have to convince many voters that she has what it takes to govern a state with more than 40 million people during a pandemic. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer.
2: Much of the focus of the recall effort has been focused squarely on Governor Newsom's response to the pandemic. His loudest critics say he had too much power. While the pandemic hit the state, the legislature gave Newsom broad authority to make unilateral decisions for the state. The governor issued several executive orders, including setting rules for last year's election. Two Republican assemblymen sued, saying Governor Newsom had overstepped. After a lower court ruled against Newsom last year, a Sacramento-based appeals court ruled yesterday that the governor did not overstep his authority because the legislature can always bring his emergency powers to an end. Assemblymen's Kevin Kiley and James Gallagher say they plan to appeal to the state Supreme Court. A year and a half after the utility PG&E reached a $13.5 billion settlement with 70,000 fire victims, most of them have yet to see a dime. But a KQED investigation finds that a trust set up to distribute all those billions of dollars has paid itself handsomely, at least $50 million last year. During that time, fire survivors got a fraction of that—just seven million dollars. Teresa McDonald is a survivor of the 2018 Camp Fire, which destroyed her home in the town of Paradise. I think the people who are running this trust, who are controlling the entire process, were none of them victims of these fires. Don't understand
4: the need for speed.
2: Joining me now is Scott McNutt. He's a veteran bankruptcy attorney and a former California State Bar governor. Scott, welcome to the California Report.
4: Pleasure to be with you, Lily. Thank you.
2: Thanks for being here. So we have found that this Fire Victim Trust spent $50 million in overhead, and that compares to $7 million that went to fire victims in 2020. And I wanted to begin by asking you if that sounds reasonable to you.
4: That sounds entirely unreasonable to me. This bankruptcy case was filed in order to protect the wildfire victims. They've been waiting for nearly three years. They've gotten essentially nothing so far. And the question is, how much is getting distributed, how fast, and to how many people? And and that's where there are a lot of question marks here. This has taken too long, in my opinion.
2: And Scott, what do you make of the trustee uh, himself, John Trotter, making $1,500 an hour, the, the top claims administrators making 1250 an hour, and then plus you have this web of, you know, at least a half a dozen firms, law firms and Wall Street firms, making money off of this. Is this par for the course in situations like this?
4: Judge Trotter's hourly rate is not offensive to me. It's perfectly within the realm of acceptable for some of his experience and integrity. The the issue is what's getting done and how fast is it getting done? What's gonna get this money that's in the Wildfire Trust distributed to victims as quickly as possible? The individual hourly rates are not offensive. What is a little surprising is that they've distributed so little money and they've largely reinvented the wheel in the administration of the Wildfire Victims Trust. There was hundreds of millions of dollars spent by professionals in the bankruptcy case, but none of those people are making an appearance in in the trust administration. And that's a little surprising to me.
2: And what would you say to someone like fire victim Teresa McDonald, who we just heard from, who is, you know, almost three years out from when she lost her home, is still dealing with the trauma of that and is still waiting for help?
4: I'd say to Teresa McDonald that... I beg forgiveness for, on behalf of all the professionals who work in this industry. This has been too long. The, the contours of this trust were agreed to a considerable period of time ago. And one group or another keeps shouldering themselves to the front of the line wanting to get paid before the fire victims are paid. I, I, I think this thing will, will move along and I think people will keep pushing. But I am a little disappointed with what I've seen so far.
2: Scott McNutt, a veteran bankruptcy attorney here in the Bay Area. Thank you.
4: You're welcome, Lily. Thank you.
2: And we should note that we've repeatedly asked the Fire Victim Trust for comment on their fees this past week. They declined all of our requests. You can read more about our exclusive investigation. It is up now on KQED.org. In Los Angeles, two photojournalists have filed separate federal lawsuits this week, claiming they've been harassed and physically assaulted by law enforcement officers while covering protests in the city over the last year. That's according to the LA Times. Now the city council is requesting a report from the LAPD on the department's conduct towards journalists. Councilman Mike Bonin introduced the motion.
4: We've gotten official complaints from the Society for Professional Journalists Uh, And they have asked us to to look into this uh, and to a couple other dynamics. Uh, One of the other dynamics being that uh, at some of these recent demonstrations, the LAPD has tried to confine journalists to a press pen far from the demonstrations they were assigned to cover.
2: Both the LAPD and the sheriff's office have declined to comment on the litigation. Finally this morning, most sports facilities are back in full swing as L.A. County moves into the yellow tier this week. But basketball courts in Venice Beach are another story. At the start of the pandemic, the county inserted iron bars in each hoop to stop COVID transmission. Those bars are still there, making play nearly impossible. KCRW's Angel Carreras has more.
4: Venice Beach is like the mecca for West Coast basketball. People come from all over the world to visit it. All of a sudden, I- Everything's open but the basketball court.
0: Nick Ansem lives in Venice and breathes basketball. He runs the Venice Basketball League, the Hoop Bus, which is the SAA bus with hoops on it, and a couple of basketball related nonprofits. So he's understandably frustrated about himself and others getting hoop blocked. It's especially weird because other courts nearby are open, but Parks and Rec says they're not supposed to be open unless someone has a permit, like a youth basketball team. They're hopeful the hoops will be unlocked when L.A. enters the L.A. tier, but that choice is up to the L.A. Department of Public Health, who hasn't commented on this story. Ansem recently set up portable open hoops in front of the park's locked hoops.
4: Like right away, like games start breaking off and like it felt good to be back at home. You know, I'm still kind of sore from it. We ended up playing from like noon till like 10 p.m., something ridiculous.
0: Anthem installed a new set of donated hoops last weekend, got a game going again, which he's vowed to do until the court's permanent hoops are free. For The California Report, I'm Angel Carreras in Venice.
2: And that is The California Report for this Thursday, May 6th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thanks for listening.
4: Support for The California Report comes from Blue Shield of California closing the health gap since 1939. Learn more about their commitment to quality and fair health care for every Californian at news.blueshieldca.com. Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com and Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food
2: New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more, all tell the stories of The Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED.
4: Showing your support is easy and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED podcasts too at donate.kqed.org/podcast. That's donate.kqed.org/podcast.